11 and a half years ago. My dad died very suddenly with absolutely no warning. I can't describe how badly that hurt. Those of you who have had to bury loved ones know that pain. It's a pain like no other. I am grateful to many of you who stood by Lee and me at that time to support us. It helped. But what helps more than anything else when you say goodbye to a loved one down here is to have the biblical teaching about the believer's home in heaven. I have uh, since that time walked away from the cemetery with my wife after saying goodbye to her mom and dad. Once again, it was the Bible, what the Bible says about heaven that sustains us and gives us hope. A lot of us have uh, shared time together in funeral homes and cemeteries. As we've said goodbye to husbands, wives, parents, and dear, dear friends that have been wrenched away from us by death. I've always tried to direct your attention to heaven as a place of rest and glory for them and as a place of future reunion with them for us. I love to talk about heaven. I love to study about, preach about heaven. I love to hear teaching about heaven from other people. And many of my favorite songs are songs about about heaven. For the last several weeks, we've been looking at what God has revealed about what he has in store for Israel in the future. And I'm so glad that God has also made it very clear that what he has in store for our future includes living together with Jesus in heaven. Ultimate victory for us involves being taken to live forever with the Lord in the place where we hold our citizenship, that place called heaven. It, it's sad that heaven has become for many little more than an obscure fantasy land where, where survivors are assured sympathetically, though, though not always sincerely, they're, they're departed loved ones of God. How, how tragic it is to see the way that liberal theology and, and atheistic philosophy have rob so many people today of, of the truth about God's eternal heaven. And I would like to do all I can to correct that situation by sharing with you four great biblical truths that we have laid out for us in the Word of God about heaven. The Word of God as our, our guide. I want to consider what heaven is, where it's at, the location of heaven, what, what heaven is like, and lastly, how a person can be assured entrance into heaven. Uh, we'll talk about the first two this morning, what heaven is and where it's at. And in two weeks, Lord willing, on October 5th, we'll get back down to it and uh, talk about what heaven's like and who can be sure of heaven. If I whet your appetite this morning, and, and you can't wait, uh, this great book that came out a while back called Heaven by Randy Alcorn. And uh, you can pick that up and, and read that. Uh, Wilbur Smith used to have the definitive text on heaven, but uh, Randy Alcorn's done a pretty good job in his book. 
and uh, you might want to pick that up someplace along the way. But uh, first of all, we want to talk about this morning what, what heaven is. Uh, first of all, what it's not, we consider it negatively. Heaven is not just happiness here on earth. Sometimes people, when life's really going great, they'll say, man, this is, this is heaven. Well, heaven's a whole lot better than anything we experience here on earth, even better than marriage, Chris, as you'll find out. Uh, heaven is better than marriage. Uh, it's not just happiness down here. It's not the grave. It's not the grave. The body goes into the grave. The soul goes to the Lord's presence in heaven. It's not merger with the other forces of the universe like some of the Eastern mystical religions imagine that you get set free from your body and just kind of blend in with the rest of the universe. That's not what the Bible teaches about heaven. And it's not a fairy tale. It's not fantasy land. We find that heaven is a reality. John, or The Lord Jesus in John 14 said that the things that I'm going to teach you about heaven if, if the things about heaven that you believe weren't true, he said, I would have told you. Turn over to John 14. Let's go ahead and look at what Jesus had to say to the disciples, just as kind of a, a basis, and then we're going to be looking at a lot of other scripture. But Christ has told the disciples he's going to die. He's going to be leaving them. They're, they're upset about that. And in verse 1 in chapter 14 of the Gospel of John, he says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, many places to dwell, plenty of room. He says, that if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And then John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So if, if what, what we know from Scripture about heaven wasn't true, Jesus would have told us. He said, if it wasn't so, I'd have told you. But he goes on and tells us some more about heaven. And considering it positively, we find that the Bible speaks of three heavens. Over in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and verse 2, the Apostle Paul talks about an experience he had in his life. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body, I don't know, or, or whether out of the body, I do not know. God knows. But such a one was caught up to the third heaven. Now, if you got a third heaven, what's that kind of infer? Must be a first heaven. Must be a second heaven. Well, from what we pick up through the rest of Scripture, and also look, just looking around us, the first heaven would be our, our atmosphere with the air, the clouds, and the birds, and our, uh, the air that we breathe. That, that's the first heaven. The second heaven would be outer space with the, the, the stellar galaxies and all the stars and, and other heavenly bodies. Our sun, our, our moon are, are part of the, the uh, second heaven, as well as that we're told in Ephesians 6 that... Uh, that there are fallen angelic beings that are also uh, considered spiritual hosts of wickedness in, in heavenly places, for Ephesians 6, 12. The third heaven is the dwelling place of God, unfallen angels, and redeemed men. And I'm here to tell you this morning, 
that the third heaven is just as real as the first two. We can see the first two or things in the first two around us. And the third heaven, the dwelling place of God, is just as real as our atmosphere. It's just as real as the stars that we see out there and our sun and moon. We find that, that the, the third heaven is, is just as real as all of that. Uh, the Bible considers it so. The Bible's permeated with statements about this place called heaven. Uh, abundant references to heaven in Scripture. And the, the, the references to a real place where God's presence is manifest in a special way. In, in Psalm 11, verse 4, it says, The Lord is in his holy temple. Well, where's his holy temple? He's not talking here about the one in Jerusalem. He says, The Lord's throne is in heaven. And from there his eyes behold and his eyelids test the sons of men. God's throne is in heaven. Uh, Jesus taught his disciples a pattern for prayer. And if you recall, it starts right off with, our Father, which is in heaven. Our Father, which is in heaven. We have only a, a we have a, a heavenly Father. Uh, as sure as the existence of the living God, a loving, sovereign God of the Bible, is also the existence of a real place called heaven. And uh, we find that we see the reality of it in promises that God gave to to Abraham. He, he promised Abraham, he said, if you'll leave your, your father and your mother and go to a place I'm going to show you, he made other great promises to Abraham. And he led him to Canaan, but we find that Abraham was also looking for a, a city. And we read in Hebrews 11 about the city that he was looking for. Turn with me to that passage. Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 8. And we read something about that. Hebrews 11, verse 8 says, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would afterward receive an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with, the same, with him of the same promise. For he waited... For the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. We learn from this that ultimately what God had in store for Abraham was heaven. A city, a very real city, whose builder and maker is God. A city with foundations. One of the first things you do if you're building a, a structure is you put in footings and you put in something as a a foundation for it. And we find that heaven is a place with foundations. If you go over to the book of Revelation, chapter 21 and 22, you read something about what the foundations and the walls of heaven are like. But the, the heaven is a city with foundations, a, a real place, a real city. And we're told here, who's the builder and maker? God is. God's the builder and maker of this heavenly city, the new Jerusalem. We find also the reality of heaven is, is indicated by the promises of Jesus. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it wasn't so, I would have told you. That's the promise he puts before the disciples as he's getting ready to, to leave them at the crucifixion. You go over to Acts chapter 1, and you read there that he goes outside the city of Jerusalem with the disciples, and all of a sudden, what happens? He starts going up. Well, where... Did he go? 
in a real glorified resurrection body, he went to a real physical place. Heaven's not just a spiritual concept. It is a real physical place. And Jesus ascended there in his glorified resurrection body. Later on, Stephen, as he's being stoned uh, by the grace of God, is given the opportunity to look into heaven and see Jesus right there, getting ready to welcome him into glory as, as those stones would, would do their damage and take his life down here. If you go to the book of Revelation, chapter 4, chapter 5, we find that, that the apostle John is given a, a, a picture of the throne room of heaven. And he sees the Lord there, and he sees uh, the elders there who would be indications of the church, and he sees angelic beings there. But he gets to see a real place with real beings. Heaven is a real place. Every place you look in the scriptures, you find that that is, is laid out for us. We also read that uh, the, the great thing we're looking forward to is Jesus Christ coming back again, right? That's our blessed hope. Looking forward for Christ to come back again. Where's he coming from? He's coming from heaven where he's at right now, sitting at the right hand of God in glory. He's, he's going to come back at, at the rapture. He's going to come to the clouds from heaven to the clouds, and then he's going to take us back to the Father's house with him where we will dwell with him. And according to Revelation chapter 19, at the end of the tribulation period, he's coming back once again from heaven. We're coming with him. And he's going to come back to the earth and set up his kingdom here. Fact of the matter is, heaven is a, is a real place where God dwells with his holy angels and with redeemed men. And we get to be with him there in glory forever and ever and ever. So heaven is a, a real place. We can show you a lot more in scripture about the reality of heaven, but I think we've, we've uh, built the case. The Bible speaks of heaven as a real physical place. Place. I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for that. It's not just a figment of somebody's imagination. It's not just a spiritual concept. It is just every bit as real as the earth on which we live right now and, and the sky above us and the stars and the moon and the sun that we look out there and see. Heaven is a real physical reality. We find also that we talk about where heaven is. And very simply, you know where heaven is? It's up. Heaven's up. It's above the earth. We have a couple of biblical terms that are used. The Hebrew word shemaim uh, means that which is raised up. And in the, the Greek in the New Testament, it talks about uranos, which is that which is above. And one thing that's interesting, in, in both the, the Greek term that's used and the Hebrew term that's used in Scripture, most often you find it most of the time used in the plural, indicating the reality, the, the, the plurality of the heavens that are there above us. Uh, we find that uh, Elijah was caught up into heaven, preview of the rapture, uh, walking along with Elisha, separated from him, and all of a sudden we find Elijah starts, God takes him up to heaven in a chariot of fire with a whirlwind, kind of a thing. But where'd he go? He went up. We find, we're, we're told in Scripture, God looks down from heaven. Uh, the, the, the voice from heaven of Jesus' baptism as God speaks from heaven, this is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased, speaking from heaven, speaking down from heaven. Christ ascended up to heaven. Jesus is going to descend from heaven. He's coming down from heaven to the clouds, and then eventually at the end of the tribulation, he's coming down from heaven to the earth. So heaven is 
is up. And we, we think about the relation between the first two heavens and the third heaven. I think there's some things that we can learn here. First of all, uh, th th there could be a relation in the sense that it may be above in the sense of a another uh, real but unseen dimension. Uh, we have around us in the world today radio signals, TV signals, and we don't see them. Don't see them bouncing around unless you have something that can receive them. And then you can see the signals that are going through the air. And in fact, even right now, uh, using the amplified microphone here on, on the pulpit, it, it's taking my voice and it's amplifying it out there so that because they're speakers, you can, can hear what's coming through the audio system here. Uh, and, you know, it could well be. Uh, we, we also find a good example when Elisha was surrounded by the Syrians and they wanted to, to do away with him. We find his servant was all troubled about that and uh, concerned and and. God just praised, or Elijah praised to God, and he said, Lord, open his eyes, and when the servant gets to see it, there, there's uh, angelic beings, uh, an army of angels there on, on the hillside protecting Elisha and his servant from, from that earthly army that was there. Folks, there is an unseen reality that's there. In fact, there are unseen beings that are around us as well, and it could be that there's even something in that in, in, that in connection with, with heaven. One of the things we know about heaven is going to be a wonderful place. In fact, we think about the, the first two heavens, and they're just a sample of what awaits for us in our, our third heaven. We think about the, our atmosphere. You know, it's kind of neat that, that God gives just the right blend of, of oxygen and hydrogen and nitrogen and a few other gases that are out there that, that we can use to breathe. You know, that if, if they, they weren't there in just the right blend... You and I wouldn't be able to live. This planet could not sustain life. That's one of the problems with going to other planets is, is the matter that there's no atmosphere to breathe. I just read uh, in a, a little while ago that there's a, uh, one of our rockets that's on its way to Mars. It's been, been on the way, I think, for 10 months now. They're going to look for the, uh, the source of, of where there was, how they got water on Mars. There's no water on Mars now, but they think that there were some some river beds and things like that, and there had been water there. So they're going to check the atmosphere there and see if they can figure something out. You know what? Mars was not created to sustain human life. And in fact, if they ever land anybody on Mars, they're going to take a whole breathing system. But God made it just right here on our Earth. And he, he also, on our atmosphere, he gives us things like, like beautiful clouds. You ever like to just look up at the blue sky and look at the clouds and, oh, there's a horse. And there's a there's a star, and you know you just there's Uncle Fred, you know, see all kind of things in, in the clouds that are up there. What what a beautiful thing! See the the birds flying through the air. You watch a, uh, eagles or hawks as they kind of soar. The other birds aren't too thrilled about that, but it's it's a neat thing to watch them as they they soar through the skies looking for breakfast and lunch, and maybe just out flying around looking around. But you know. What a beautiful thing to be able to see that, to, to see lightning flashing across the sky in our atmosphere. Now, what an amazing thing. And then we think about the, the stellar heavens. 
man, what a glorious thing that is. We, we can't really take it all in, all that's involved in, in those stellar heavens. They, they used to talk about stars in the, in the thousands. You know, in fact, there were those that in the past have mocked the Bible because God told Abraham, one of these days, I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And then he also gave another uh, example or another figure and that's the grains of sand on the seashore. The, uh, the Bible's comparing the number of grains on the seashore with the number of, scars, of stars. We know there are only 5,000 stars. Well, you know what's happened? Men have built better telescopes. And now what have they found? They found there's a whole lot more than 5,000 stars. In fact, they found that in our galaxy, the Milky Way, there, 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 there's something like 100 billion stars in our galaxy and there's a, a hundred billion other galaxies and, and they were all brought into existence from one command when God spoke them into existence what kind of God do we have it's a, you, you couldn't even make a model of the atmosphere of the, excuse me of the universe you couldn't make a model of that uh, people sometimes make models for science class of the, the solar system you know, you got the sun in the middle, and then Venus and Mercury, and no, Mercury, then Venus, then the Earth, then Mars, and work your way out. And usually, you, know, you, you can't build those solar systems to scale. You know, it just doesn't work. The distances are too much. And then when it comes to the universe, it would be absolutely, totally impossible. You couldn't do it. Because if the Earth, if you make up a model, and the Earth is a a one-inch ball, like the video we saw a few weeks ago on a Sunday night. If the Earth was the size of a golf ball, then our nearest star, which is Alpha Centauri, uh, it's the closest one, well, if you were going to put that in your model, you would have to walk 51,000 miles and then put your, put whatever you're going to use, your tennis ball or whatever you're going to use to represent Alpha Centauri. God made that. And how glorious it is for us to be able to look up and to, to see it, to appreciate all the stars, to see the comets sometimes flash by, to think about our sun that he's given to us that, that warms us here and sustains life on this planet 93 million miles away. God did that. God did that. That's the first heaven. And the second heaven, imagine the very dwelling place of God what that's going to be like. John gets a vision over in the book of Revelation, and he tries to describe it in Revelation 4 and 5 and 21 and 22, and he exhausts human vocabulary. And the fact of the matter is we, we can't comprehend how glorious it's going to be in this place that God has for you and me to dwell with him forever and ever and ever. His dwelling place in glory is going to be tremendous. We also find that even though heaven is, is pictured as up, and uh, it's also near us. We think about how vast the universe is, and we think, okay, if the dwelling place of God is beyond all that, then if it is beyond all that, how far away is that, and, and how are we ever going to get there? Well, heaven's also very near. Uh, God's voice can be heard from heaven. In, in Matthew 20, verse 22, we read the, response to the Israelites. They had, they had heard God speak to them in an audible voice to 
because sometimes people say, well, God would just speak to me in audible. Then I'd believe, or I'd be more faithful, or I'd do this, or I'd do that. You know what happened when the Israelites heard God speak to them in an audible voice? They said, look, don't do that. It overwhelmed them, blew them away. And they said, speak to us through Moses. And so that's how God did. He gave Moses the Ten Commandments, and then he passed them on to the, to the Jewish people. But he, he, he could speak, and they could, he could speak from heaven. They could hear. When Jesus is baptized, he speaks from heaven, and, and people hear. Heaven, heaven is close. People on earth, when they've been permitted, have been, been able to look into the heavens. Isaiah 6, Isaiah says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord. And he goes on and gives the, the, the picture of what he saw there, how he sees God on the throne and the angelic beings around him, crying out, holy, holy, holy. If you read that at sixth chapter of Isaiah in, in connection with the twelfth chapter of the Gospel of John, you find that, you know who Isaiah saw on the throne of heaven there? He saw Jesus. He saw Jesus in his glory, sitting on the throne before Christ ever became incarnate. Ezekiel says the same thing. He got the opportunity to see heaven open, and, and he gives a a description there in that first chapter of Ezekiel. Stephen got to see heaven from the earth as they're stoning him to death, but he got a he got a glimpse of it. So heaven is is close. It's around us, very near to us right now. Simon Kistemaker says heaven then is up and around us in a dimension that we're unable to see. When God opens the eyes of believers, as some Christians experience on their deathbed. He permits them to look into heaven. Oliver Buswell said, I do not think that heaven is any great distance away. If it were the will of God, we could see the face of the Lord Jesus Christ at any moment. Yeah, the, 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 the whole universe is vast, but that doesn't mean that heaven is far, far removed from us. It's very, very near. And we find that heaven will one day be on or, or, or just above the new earth. Go to the book of Revelation with me. Revelation chapter 21. See what we see what John isn't able to see. He says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Then he goes on to explain what, what, what it's like, what he got to see. We, we find over in the 10th verse, he says also, he says, uh, and he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. We find that, that heaven's pictured as coming down Perhaps on the earth, it's described here as being 1,500 miles. The heavenly city, New Jerusalem, is pictured as being 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles long, and 1,500 miles high. And I, I've never yet read a good explanation as to why that city can be 1,500 miles high. People have different ideas. One, someone suggested perhaps it will be kind of suspended a little bit above the earth so that it can be seen from either, even further distances. I don't know. But at any rate, it's going to be, it's going to be large enough in that situation that it can, 
can fit a quad, several quadrillion people. In fact, you start ex ex exhausting the, the human language when you start trying to describe heaven. You can't quite do it. But it, it's pictured as being just above above the earth. In Second uh, Peter chapter three, we get a description of what God's going to do at the end of things. Right at the end of the millennial kingdom here. And he said, But the day of the Lord, verse 10, 2 Peter 3, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away, with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. And therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and gentleness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. We find here that, that all creation is going to be purged by fire. God promised to, to Noah, and he gave a promise to us through Noah that, that he'll never destroy or purge the earth again by a universal flood. But he is going to purge it. The end of the millennial kingdom, he's going to purge it by fire. It doesn't mean it'll be a brand new earth, totally different, but it's going to be purged. That's going to be a glorified earth, just as when we, uh, we're glorified, we'll be like the Lord Jesus Christ. All marks of sin will be removed from it. My personal belief, and I think I've got good biblical support here, is that the heavenly city is going to be on the new earth. You see, God devised earth, created earth as a place for man to dwell. And he created man to dwell on the earth. Now, sin's messed up the earth. And sin's messed us up because of the fall and because of the curse. Well, one of these, all that's going to be restored. And you and I will get to, to live on a, a glorified earth and maybe in the glorified heavenly city, the new Jerusalem, whatever it is, it's going to be great. It's going to be wonderful. All marks of sin will be gone. It'll be a, a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Everything about it will, 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 will scream out and advertise righteousness. Everything will, will demonstrate the glory and the wonder of Almighty God it's going to be a great thing for us. Heaven also, thank God. You want to know where heaven is? Here's the most important thing you can know. Heaven lies at the end of the Christian life on earth. That's where heaven lies. How, how do we get there? You know, Jesus told Thomas in John 14, he says, you know where I'm going. Thomas responds, well, Lord, we're not sure where you're going. How can we know the way? And then in the very next verse, Jesus tells him the way. What's the way? How do you get to heaven? You know, you don't go to Watchersville and turn left. How do you get to heaven? Jesus is the way to heaven. Jesus is the way to the Father. And he's the truth. He's telling the truth about it. And he's the life because that's really what life is. It's eternal life. Living with God together in glory. And how do we come to Jesus? Well, we put our faith in him. He's the way, the truth, and the life. You know, we don't have to know how, to, how we could get in a rocket ship and get to heaven from the earth. You know, we don't have to understand, well, 
well, man, if the universe is this big and, and, and the second heaven is that vast, then how are we ever going to get to the third heaven? And we don't have to think in terms of light years and, and, and all kinds of time involved. You know, that, that's all God's problem. God's problem is, is getting you and me to heaven. And he already did the most important thing about getting us to heaven. He prepared us for heaven. And that, that cost a great, great deal. You know, it cost a lot of taxpayer money to, to, to build the space shuttle and to build rocket ships and things like that to try to get out into the, beyond our atmosphere. I'll tell you, the greatest price that was ever paid was paid to get you and me to the third heaven, to get us into a situation where we could live with God for all of eternity. And that price was when Jesus Christ died on the cross at Calvary to pay for our sins. How do you get to heaven? put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins. And that's God's problem. To, to get us out of here at the rapture, somebody's asking us a question the other day about, okay, if if uh, you know if you, you drowned and you get eaten by a shark and stuff like that, how's God going to resurrect you? You know, my response, that's God's problem. <laughs> that's God's problem. And that was a, somebody made an example a few years ago, okay, if if you're buried and uh, somebody's walking by and they're eating an apple and they throw the core of the apple over on top of your grave and, and the seeds uh, germinate and they take root and the roots go down into your casket and, and they take nutrients out of your body and then they, the, an, an apple tree grows and, and apples come on it and, and somebody eats the apple. So, you know, how are you going to get, a, how's God going to sort it? You know, that's God's problem. That's God's issue. We don't have to have all those answers, do we? When it comes to getting to heaven, what's, what's his answer to Jesus? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. We need to set our affections on things above. Colossians 3 tells us that, that we need to set our affections upon things above, not on things here on this earth, to have our, our interest in, in living for the Lord and that our, our rewards are to be laid up, our treasures should be laid up in heaven. We're exhorted in Scripture not to, to lay up your treasures here on earth because thieves can steal them. They can become corrupted. But if we lay up our treasures in heaven and we look at things above, then we find that the thieves don't break in and steal in heaven. God's got the greatest security system there is, him. That's all he needs. Thieves don't break through and steal. That things aren't corruptible. In fact, we're told in, in, in Peter's letter that that um, we look for a, we have a treasure, an inheritance that's laid up for us that is incorruptible, and it's it's reserved in glory for us. So we should be laying up treasure in heaven. And it says when we have our treasure laid up in heaven, it says our hearts go where our treasures laid up. That's where our hearts going to be. Where's your heart this morning? Is your heart fixed on the things of this earth, the pursuits of this world, or is your treasure laid up in heaven so that your heart is fastened on heaven? You're looking forward to going to heaven, You're looking forward to seeing Jesus, looking forward to being with him, looking forward to eternity and glory with him. Next week we'll talk about what, or two weeks from now we'll talk about what heaven's like. And then we'll also spend a little more time talking about who can be sure of heaven. And how wonderful it is to be able to be sure of heaven and what that does for our lives right here and right now.
let me just remind you, what did we talk about this morning? The reality of heaven. It's a real place, folks. We're not talking fairy tales here. We're talking reality. We're talking about a real physical place. And where's it at? Well, it, it's up. Good to know that it's up. But most important of all, to know that it's at the end of a life lived for the Lord Jesus Christ. A life lived with faith in the Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you for the, what you've given to us in your word about heaven. You haven't told us everything we'd like to know, but Lord, you've, you've given us enough. And we thank you that Christ was willing to die on the cross at Calvary so that we could live our eternity in heaven with you. I pray, Father, if there's anybody with us this morning that's never surrendered their heart and their life to Jesus Christ in, in repentant faith, I pray they do that today. Help them to realize the things of this earth are passing away the things of heaven are eternal. Everything down here is fuel for that fire we read about in 2 Peter 3. But Lord, the things we can lay up as far as treasures in heaven, they are eternal. I pray you draw anybody to you that doesn't know Christ. I pray for encouragement for each and every believer here today. And Father, I thank you that we can look forward one day to a great reunion in glory where we get to see loved ones that have gone there before us and we get to see the Lord Jesus Christ face to face. Help that to motivate us, sustain us, and help us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you turn with me, please, 539? Oh, that will be glory. Glory.